Well, grab your Bible. First Timothy is where we're going to be this Christmas Sunday. First Timothy. Just after Thessalonians, just before you get to the book of Hebrews. If you find Hebrews, turn left and go back to First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 1. Let me tell you what uh, this chapter is about. In verses 1 through 7 of 1 Timothy 1, Paul is going to say to Timothy, Hey, stay in Ephesus because I need you there. Stay in Ephesus because I need you there, making sure that the doctrine stays accurate. Because there was this great tendency in the first century, and you know it's continued on, right? There's this great tendency to take doctrine and shape it and make it whatever we want it to be. Make it fit better to humanity. And that was the danger in Paul's mind at the church at Ephesus. So he says, Timothy, stay there and you have to guard the faith. You have to guard the doctrine. You have to guard the gospel. Keep the gospel the gospel. That's verse 1 through 7 of chapter 1. And then 8 through 11, he begins to get into what a little bit of the error was. The error... In the church of Ephesus, as was the case in many of the churches that Paul dealt with, were that they were infusing the law of God back into the gospel. And uh, the short of that is they were saying that you still had to do things to keep the law to impress God. That to be saved meant that you and God were going to cooperatively work this thing out. That somehow God needed your help and you had to keep his law and he would be gracious and you would be faithful to do as much of his law as you could. You know, you would pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You would try and climb a moral ladder, if you will, to impress God as best you could. And he'd take care of wherever you fell short. It was this cooperative act between God and man. I do the law. God gives a little dose of grace. And the mix together gives salvation. He said that's not right. That's not the intent of the law. 8 through 11, he says, the intent of the law is so that sinners, liars, thieves, murderers get this mirror and they begin to see clearly who they are. That they can't do it. They can't impress God. Not even a little bit. And so he says, Timothy, stay in Ephesus. Don't let them take the law and infuse it back into the gospel because the gospel is bigger and better than us trying to keep the law. And then he's going to jump down in 18 through 20 at the end of this chapter. He's going, to, uh, he's going to say to Timothy himself, listen, Timothy, don't fall into this pit. It is a pit of Satan himself. And there's a great danger for all of us, for all of believers, to slip back into this thing of trying to keep laws, rules, and regulations. He says, Timothy, keep the faith. Hold to sound doctrine. You are the guardian of this in Ephesus, and I need you there. Well, in the midst of that chapter, we get this great section. 12 through 17 is what I want to show you this morning very quickly. 12 through 17, Paul uses himself as an example in the midst of this letter to Timothy. Timothy, stay in Ephesus. Guard the doctrine. Keep the faith. Make sure that the law doesn't get brought back in somehow through the back door and infused back with the gospel so that people in the church there at Ephesus start to think that I still have to do things to impress God and I've got to keep this list of do's and this list of don'ts and help God out. Don't let that happen to you, Timothy. You guard the faith, guard the doctrine. You stay strong at the end of chapter 1, he says, lest you, like others, shipwreck your faith. What a vivid picture that is. That we would shipwreck our faith on a false doctrine. Can that happen? Sure can. 12 through 17, in in this letter, this personal letter, Paul goes into a little bit of an example of himself. And he says, let me just tell you, Timothy, if you didn't already know, which I'm sure Timothy knew, 
I'm sure Timothy knew. Paul calls him a true son in faith. Timothy knew, but Paul thought it wise to remind him. And I, I'm, I'm not uh, so ignorant to believe that you guys don't already know everything I'm going to tell you this morning. But if Paul could remind Timothy, can we remind each other this morning a little bit of what the purity, the truth of the gospel is? Paul thought it, thought it a good thing to remind Timothy. And I, I hope we are reminded of some simple yet profound truths of the gospel this morning through the testimony of Paul. Look at verse 12. And I'm going to fly through this. Verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service. First thing I want to tell you is this is in present tense Paul's life. When Paul writes this verse, he's talking about his present life, his present in the service of ministry, doing God's work life. And you know what? The first thing he says to Timothy, let me just give you a piece of my testimony. Paul says, I'm just glad to be here, number one. I'm just glad to be here. I'm just thankful to Christ Jesus that he gave me the strength to do the ministry that he has strengthened me to do and called me to do. I'm just, I'm just happy to be a part. Saying that because I've been faithful, God has given me the strength. He's not saying that because of something he did pre-salvation that God has now given him this ministry. No, he's saying, I'm, I'm glad to be a part. I'm glad that now as a Christian, God has found me faithful in my Christian walk and he's given me ministry to do. He's put me in the work of the kingdom. And I'm just, I'm just glad to be a part. I thank Jesus that I could be here. Why is Paul so thankful? Paul's thankful because of the next verse. Check it out. Verse 13, Paul has a correct and clear understanding of who he is. Verse 12, present tense. But it's only because he has a correct and clear understanding of who he was. Past tense, verse 13. Look at what Paul knows about himself in and of himself. Verse 13 he says that God has considered me faithful and put me into this ministry. I'm thankful to, to him for strengthening me, 13, even though I was formerly. Now we go past tense. Paul looks back into his life. He says, I'm just thankful to be here, verse 12. And the reason I'm so thankful just to be here, verse 12, is because when I think back, verse 13, I was formerly, let me tell you now, who I was. Keep going. A blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent Aggressor. You know much about the life of Paul? Paul persecuted first century Christians before he became a Christian himself. The chief of the apostles was also, in his own words, the chief of sinners. Why? Because in his own words he says, when I look back on my life, I persecuted who? The church? And I was a blasphemer of who? The God of that church. Not only that, not only did I attack God and did I attack his church, but he goes further and he says what? I was a violent aggressor. I was antagonistic to the point of violence. Who was the guy, trivia question, who was the guy that held the coats of the man who stoned Stephen? Apostle Paul. Gladly held the coats while they stoned a believer. What do you think about the guilt in the heart of the Apostle Paul now that he's come to Christ? What do you think Paul thinks about himself? Do you think he has this high, lofty view of who he is? No, he says, listen, I'm just glad to be here and part of this 
ministry thing that God is doing in his kingdom. I can't tell you how glad I am just to be here. I'll tell you a little bit. It's because I was against him. I was against his church, even to the point of violence. The Apostle Paul got permission from the Roman government to drag Christians out of their home churches and beat and even murder them just for being Christians. Now this man says to Timothy, I can't tell you how thankful I am that God would even let me be a part of this ministry. And the reason why, verse 13, is because look who I was pre-Jesus. Paul has a clear and correct understanding of who he is because he has a clear and correct understanding of who he was without Jesus. Now look at the next verse. Verse 14, he's going to say that God's grace to save is even enough for him. Antagonistic to God, antagonistic to God's church, even to the point of violence. Can you think of doing much more than that as an offense to a holy God? I really can't. Paul says, in spite of that, let me tell you about the grace that's on the other end of this spectrum. That's my sin. Now let me tell you about the grace. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Not just abundant. It was super abundant. The grace of our Lord was super abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Here's my sin, Timothy. I'm thankful to be here because my sin was grievous toward a holy God and toward his people. Even to the point where I did some things that I don't even, I don't even care to think about anymore. I can barely live with myself. And as heavy as the weight of my sin is, and it is heavy, Paul says, God's grace is greater. Sing an old hymn, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Do you understand the weight of your sin? Paul says, but do you also understand the depth of God's grace? No matter how huge your sin is, no matter how grievous it is, Paul raises a smile to Timothy and says, but listen, the grace of God is even bigger. It's even bigger. Verse 15, he says, because this is the very reason we have Christmas. Verse 15, let me show you this. He says, it is a trustworthy statement. And in the context here, He's comparing what he's about to say to Timothy to everything these false teachers are throwing out there. He says, this one thing you can count on, you can take it to the bank, Timothy. This is a faithful, trustworthy statement. While everyone else is going out uh, listening to myths and endless genealogies, speculations, verse 4, verse 6, some men are straying from these things and have turned to fruitless discussions. He says, let me tell you something very very important. Here it is. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. And by full acceptance, he means that we don't just receive it, that we fully embrace it, we take it to heart, we welcome it, and we hold on to it dearly. That's what 
to fully accept means. That we grab hold of this next truth and we never let it go. Here it is. It's the reason for Christmas. It is a statement. Maybe the clearest statement of Christmas that we have. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. That's Christmas. But he adds something here. He adds purpose behind the events. And it's so wretched. My offenses against God, they, they would weigh me down if not for the grace of God, which is even greater. And one 19th century Methodist pastor said about this passage and those like it, that Christmas, specifically Jesus Christ coming to the world to save sinners, it is the hinge of all human history hanging on the door of the stable in Bethlehem. It is the doorway into salvation. It is the hinge that turns all of time. It is the hinge that opens the door between us and God. It is the door that allows this collision between our sin and God's becoming flesh. Now one thing I want to point out to you here, lest we miss it, and it is the purpose that Paul assigns to the event of Christmas. Christ Jesus came into the world, why? Very simply, very clearly, to save sinners. To save sinners. Now, you know, uh, around Christmas time, we do a lot of decoration. We, there's a lot of pomp. There's a lot of glitter. There's a lot of glitz. There's a lot of twinkling lights. There's a lot of tinsel. There's a lot of beauty. John MacArthur uh, did a sermon on this one verse, and he titled it, The Ugliness of Christmas. That's an odd title, isn't it? The Ugliness of Christmas. Here's what I don't want us to miss this morning. Oh, that we would not miss this chance for a reminder as to the purpose behind the event. And Preston alluded to this earlier. The purpose behind the event is not all roses. It's not all glitz. It's not all glamour. It's not all wrapped presents. It's not all twinkly lights. It's not all beautiful images that we conjure up around these holidays. The truth in the purpose of this season, the truth and the purpose of Jesus coming to earth is an ugly, wretched, hideous reality. Because he came to save sinners. That is not a pretty picture. That is not a glamour trip. Jesus did not come to earth on a pleasure trip. He did not come to earth to be a moral example. He did not come to earth to merely become a good teacher that we all would look up to and say, he's got some good stuff, maybe I'll take a little bit of that. He did not come to earth, just as Preston said, to be this beautiful gift from God on high. He came for a very specific and a very particular reason, to save sinners. Now here's who I want to talk to this morning. We all need this, but there are two, two individuals in particular that need this reminder. Number one, it is the individual who does not fall into the category of sinner. There are some of us who, uh, while we would say none of us are perfect, we deep down feel like we are probably better than most. And we've not been a murderer, we've not been a persecutor of believers, we've not done all the things that Paul has done here. And some of us don't quite 
place ourselves in the category of sinner. Can I tell you? If you just, the celebration of the mass of Christ, of the mass of Christ, the celebration of Christ, it's not for you. Because very specifically, Paul says, Christ came for one reason, to save sinners. I'm not a sinner, then he didn't come for you. Then Christmas isn't for you. You don't qualify for the reason Jesus came unless you put yourself in the place, in the category of the sinner. You might as well celebrate Festivus, all right? There's another person who needs to hear this. Not just the guy or the lady who says that they don't place themselves in the category of sinner, but the one who places themselves in the category of sinner and uh, does so with such aggression that they do not see how they could ever qualify for the grace of God. You follow me? There's one guy who says, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And we know that's not Paul. Paul says, I'm just glad to be here. Look at my track record. Look at my resume. It's overwhelmingly bad. But the grace of God is overwhelmingly great. So some of us say, you know what, I I don't fall into the category of sinner. And you have a great problem. But there's another individual that has a great problem. It's a person who knows without a shadow of a doubt that they are wretched, that they are enemies of God in their lifestyle, that they are at odds with their Creator. And here's their problem. They don't see a way out. They don't see a way up. They don't see a way in between. And what they say in their heart is, not that I'm a pretty good person. I'm sure God would accept me if I ever had to stand before him. They're saying, how could God ever, ever accept me? The example of Paul answers both of these individuals. It's clear from Paul, he's going to say here in the end of 15, I am foremost of all sinners. In 16, he's going to repeat it so that in me as the foremost, he says, I'm the biggest sinner you can ever find. You can't find anybody who's done anything any worse. At least two other times in the New Testament, Paul says, I am the the worst of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. Present tense. Paul has this healthy smallness about himself. Paul has this correct and clear understanding of who he is without Jesus. And he's just lucky to be here. By the grace of God that outweighed the weight of his sin. The example of Paul answers both of these guys. To the man who says, I don't think I fall into the category of sinner, Paul would say, oh yeah? I wrote most of the New Testament. I'm considered the chief of the apostles. But for you, I say, do you really think that you've done more than the apostle Paul has? Either way, it's not about you. Timothy, stay in Ephesus. Protect the doctrine. What doctrine? Specifically, the doctrine that the law doesn't get back into grace. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is that if we start to mix our good deeds in with the grace of God, it becomes an us and God activity. 
and not the sovereign activity of God alone saving man. But now it's a, it's a joint venture between me and God. I'll help God. God will help me. Paul gives us the example to say, you know what? There was nothing I could do. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't be good enough. In other passages, he lists his resume. He was a Jew of Jews from all the right tribes. Memorized the Torah. Had a lot going for him. He says, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Neither my sin nor my good deeds does anything to tip the scales in the mind of God. The reminder for us this morning, Christ came to save sinners. If you don't put yourself in the category of sinners, Christmas can't be for you. The good news is, Christ came for sinners. And for those of you who have placed yourself in the category of sinner and you've weighed yourself down with this burden in your life to try and impress God and try and please God, how could He ever love me if He, if He only knew what I've seen, if He only know what I've heard, if He only know what my hands have touched, what my mouth has said, what my heart has intended? There'd be no way that He could love me. Apostle Paul says, Christmas is that Jesus came for sinners. Be of good cheer, sinners. If you fall into that category, you are in just the right place. Amen? Amen. You are in just the right place. Let me finish up here. 16, he says that by doing this, by having this right perspective by understanding why Jesus came, by understanding who I am now, who I was, who I've become, and how I've gotten there, only by the grace of God, we become an example, verse 16, he says. Yet, I have found mercy. And that comes right after him saying, once again, I am the chief of sinners. Yet, I have found mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is God not letting his wrath pour out upon us. Mercy is a picture of God restraining the wrath that is due to us. He's held that back. He's been merciful. Paul says, I'm the worst that you could ever imagine. Yet I've found mercy. And he gives us a reason. In Paul's mind, he believes his mission is to do something with what God has done in him. See what he says here. The problem with the guy who does not place himself in the category of sinner is that you mess up everything else, spiritually speaking. When you don't place yourself in the category of sinner, you mess up your relationship with God because you steal glory from Him. And you believe that this is a cooperative effort between you and God to get yourself secure and saved. And that steals glory away from God. So it messes up your relationship with God. If you come in here and you believe that this is a cooperative effort, that you are not a, that bad of a person and... Uh, God is probably you know, happy to see you here this morning, etc. You have this attitude. You will grow this attitude. Satan will grow this attitude in you. And it will destroy fellowship 
in the body of believers. Why? Because you're not that bad. And you don't have the attitude of Paul that I'm just glad to be here, a part of the kingdom work. Instead, you have the attitude that God needs my hands, God needs my mouth, God needs my voice. There's nothing about God that necessarily needs you. And when you have that attitude, it's going to disrupt the fellowship of the believers. You know what else it's going to mess up? You're going to steal away from the example that God has designed your life to be. Paul says that God has intended my life now to be a demonstration, to be a show, to be a demo, to be a portrait in humanity on this earth, an example for everyone else out there to see who hasn't found grace yet, that they are to look at your life and say, that guy was the worst. He had sin. This God overlooked it because of Christ. His sin was dealt with. Now he's just happy to be there. He gets along with the saints and he lives his life as an example to say, look at what God has done for me. That's the testimony of Paul. Is that our testimony? Or are we still including ourselves in the doctrine of salvation to such a degree that when humanity looks at us, lost humanity looks at us, they don't see a sinner saved by grace, just happy to be a part of God's family, knowing in ourselves we were wretched and sinners, and all the glory goes to God, that they look in at us and they see men and women trying to be better and failing. And they call us what? Hypocrites. When our message all along, according to Paul, is to be to the rest of humanity, to those who might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, is to be, look, good, bad, and ugly, God saved me. Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. I'm the worst one of all. Is that your testimony? Or are you still hanging on that you're a pretty good guy, that you're a pretty good lady? If you are, then your testimony is not to this world that all glory and all honor and all the praise for what has been done in my life goes to him, not to me. You know how Paul ends up this section? Don't look at verse 7 testimony. Who is true son in the faith. Paul ends like this. Now to the king. Eternal. Immortal and invisible, the only God, to Him be the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.